I typed Tamlin and it autocorrected to tampon and I just never looked back. You're reading Between the Lines with Cece and Bex. I'm Cece. And I'm Bex. And today we're diving into one of our favorite series, A Court of Thorns and Roses. This is our pilot episode for our podcast, and we're walking into this with the intention of chatting like we've known you forever and discussing all things bookish, fanfic, and conspiracy theory about whatever it is we're reading together. We're going full on nerd here, including our Akotar version of Kill Fuck Mary. And if you want to support the show, we're on Patreon, PayPal, and we invite you to join our Between the Lines communities on Discord, Facebook, Reddit, and Imager. Now, whatever you're doing as you join us, feel welcome. And let's get into the goods. We're going to do a brief spoiler-free synopsis of the first book of Akotar. We open with a young and resourceful woman named Feyre. She leaves her destitute family behind after unknowingly slaying a mystical creature. She is taken prisoner to a dangerous and fantastical world by a beastly stranger. She must utilize her courage to fight off the evil fae, rely on her instincts to navigate treacherous riddles, and hunt down those who would harm the ones she loves the most. Yeah, you should go read it. And so, friends, we have now reached the point of no returns for spoilers and even more cursing. So if you're being wild and listening to this podcast before you've at least read book one of the A Court of Four and Roses series, this is your sign to pause the show and binge read for the next six hours like the rest of us. Unless you're a masochist, in which case do you, but just know spoilers lie ahead. So we're really excited to dig into all of this. We will caveat this with explaining that I, Bex, I've read the entire series and it inspired me to get my friend Cece on board so that I had somebody to talk to about all of this. And you've read book one, right? Correct. I was a little hesitant at first. I have not read any kind of modern book in quite some time. And when you brought it to me, I was... I I wasn't sure if I really wanted to get into it. And I read about three pages and was like, oh no, my poor next two weeks, there's completely taken. Uh, It took me about a week and a half to get through this book. I am absolutely obsessed right off the bat. Yeah, it's fascinating. So we decided like our first thing that we're going to get into is who we meet in the book. So Cece's already talked a little bit about Feyre. Feyre is going to be the protagonist. And let's talk about her and the character that she is, because there's a lot of love and hate for her online, which her character will develop over these next four books. But some people just find her one dimensional. Some people could find her flat. A lot of people relate to her. And I think what I find interesting is sometimes people will read these books and just have a view that, well, if I was Feyre, I would simply just solve world hunger and I would simply just be amazing and I would simply do all of these things. And I just want to remind everybody. And I also, I have to remind myself too, because I'm I'm there judging. Like, why would you do that, Feyre? Run away, run away, turn around, Feyre. But I have to remind myself that like characters are complex and no one deed makes you know a human completely you know and so they're they're complex they're like onions out of shrek they're layered and so first off we're talking about a 19 year old girl Mm -hmm. you know how dumb and stupid i was when i was 19 you know how dumb and stupid i am at 33 (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying so like a lot of people are judging her for being like naive and i'm like she's nice absolutely agree with that. I want her to do. You need something as a protagonist. You need a blank slate so people can put themselves in that position. 
And, and that's the whole point uh, when you're creating, you know, a young protagonist who is meeting this huge, crazy world, you need to have somewhere for the reader to put themselves. Yeah. And I think that is Pharaoh's role is for you to go, well, if I were her, mm -hmm. this is what I would do, or this was dumb or whatever. She's not that complex in the first book. I can see her growing, especially towards the very end of it. You got to that center weird part of the onion that you don't really use. Mm -hmm. You really got there <laughs> with Pharaoh uh, and that deep layer. So Yes, I can definitely see where people would not like her. But I think if you put yourself, like you said, in that 19-year-old's position, you wouldn't do too much terribly different. Well, I mean, I just couldn't imagine. Like, like we, we read fantasy for a reason to get us into these other worlds. And not like, I would shit a brick if what happened to her happened to me. <laughs> if a beast broke down my door right now, I was like, you're coming with me to the Feylands. I'd be like, what the hell is going on? I'd make the worst decisions. I would totally try to fix a guy. I would totally date the bad guy. I'd do all the things because that's exactly what I did when I was 19. And I wasn't deprived of food and money and mm -hmm. an education. And I still made really stupid choices. So that's Pharaoh. She's going to get complex and I can't wait to dive into her. I like her just fine. I don't understand why everybody has all the hate. I also do recognize that people can be jealous of a fictional character and they like the men in the book and they might be like, oh, well, Pharaoh doesn't treat him right. And I'm like, he's a <laughs> fictional <laughs> character you guys you guys Linky's not everyone he's not real okay and then we meet Pharaoh's worthless family I'm just kidding they're not worthless but I don't think we need to spend a whole 30 seconds on them they will become bigger in the rest of the series and we'll talk about them then uh, but then we meet our bestie Tam Lynn oh little Tam Tam my Tam Tam <laughs> it's my Tam Tam so Tam Lynn is the beast that barges into Pharaoh's little hobble, I believe is what they called it, and whisks her way to a fairyland. Sounds really great on paper, and then it's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Well, she's been raised there. her whole life to think that the Feylands are terrifying, and I mean, she's not wrong. No, not necessarily. I think it's because these people have too much time on their hands. <laughs> 500 years, you get kind of bored. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'd probably fuck with shit too. I am so hit or miss with him. He is a solid character who will, I believe, remain pretty constant throughout the books. His personality, what he would do, his decision-making process. I think he's going to be a very consistent character for her. But I also have a few problems with, with his decision-making and with him kind of lying in a way. Uh, so my, my first instinct is to really, really love Tamlin. But as the book moves on and you kind of see the holes in his plot, you start to get a little suspicious. Uh, so it, you get that, oh, this is who she's supposed to be with yeah. towards the beginning. But as it moves on, you're like, okay, but who really is Tamlin? Yeah. He really has kind of mystified throughout the book. Are the holes mm -hmm. that you're talking about, like the lies that he can't verbalize because of the curse? Correct. But I feel like there were some lies that he told that weren't necessary. You know, hiding the people in the court. 
I felt like was a way, like a means to an end. I, I, I get it. But I don't think the glamour of Alice or you know, hiding all of those people or manipulating her in a way was all together necessary. That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that much. You know, I just accepted mm-hmm. it at face value that she would have been scared and like she was already scared coming to this strange land and they were like, oh, if she sees us, she's going to be even more scared. But now that you point it out, it does lead me to think a little bit about how Tamlin chooses that for her. Like he chooses what she can't handle and decides to, in his way, baby her, which, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, is going to come a bit of an issue through the rest of this series. And so I really never thought about that. But yeah, I mean, you're probably better at picking up red flags <laughs> in guys <laughs> than I am, let's be real. But um, so yeah, that is a good red flag. I mean, because we we know Feyre, right? So we get to know the mm-hmm. character she has. And she mm-hmm. later in encounters a lot of things like the serial who are like absolutely horrific to behold and she handles those just fine and so exactly alice looks like mm-hmm. some tree bark but apparently she can't handle that interesting i didn't think about that that's a good point so after we meet tamlin we get to see his partner in crime mr lucian mm. who is obviously my favorite character uh but bex how did you react to this hunky cyclops (laughs) well i was really like astounded by the scarring because usually in somebody's fantasy realm all these characters are quite perfect so (laughs) i was like and then oh look at sjm building in like character into her characters i love it and (laughs) i've also read the throne of glass series so I've I've already got eight books worth of her writing to know that she likes her characters to have imperfections and flaws that her community and her readers can latch onto. So I was like, oh, she did it. Now she hit me with this eye though. It was, it wasn't the scar. It was the eye that I was like, I had to Google some fan art to get like an image in my head because the one that I had in my head was like a mix of C3PO and like a bad half joker not joker who's the two-face from the batman series i was like Mm -hmm. it's not going well guys (laughs) so i see why he's your favorite because you like well i love injured men (laughs) oh please oh give me someone i can fix up honey (laughs) oh my goodness absolutely so for for me i would have to agree in the sense that you have a fey world and when they're looked at as so ethereal and so godlike to have one of the first one she meets to be imperfect Mm. I thought was really telling and it was almost the first cut in her veiled image of the fae to say you know what maybe they're not as godlike and scary and terrible and horrible as you think they are that's really good stuff I mean it also symbolizes that we know the fae heal quicker and so for him to have permanent scarring, he has to have gone some through something really traumatic and deep. Yeah. And somebody would have purposely tried to do something to him that would have prevented the scarring. And so, yes, when I pictured you reading this, I was like, Cece's going to get all over him immediately. She's going to be like, oh, somebody hurt this poor man. He's mine now. I will put him in my pocket and collect him. Listen, back, listen, listen, literally the note that I put in the book when Lucian first came on, I was like, Lucian is like, <laughs> I'm sorry. 
sorry. He gets me all giggly. Um, <laughs> she said, daddy can like, get it. <laughs> I said, Lucian is bae. I did. And I never use that phrase. I never use that phrase, Ooh, but Lucian is What an is honor. What an honor. He That's is. Hilarious. Yeah, he should, he should feel honored. And then, so we have um, <laughs> the main characters there. We have Alice, who is, of course, the handmaiden that takes care of Feyre while she is in Tamlin's court. And then we meet some scary people like the bogey, like the Naga. We will talk about the cereal mm-hmm. a little bit later. So we won't spend too much time on him now. And then we go under the mountain and under the mountain, we meet some new characters. My personal favorite is of course, Reason, And we meet him before we go under the mountain, of course, at Cal and May. And then we meet him again when he delivers the head and then comes to talk in the dining room to Lucian and Tamlin. And they're trying to glamour Feyre to be hidden. And of course he realizes that she's there and makes the two men beg on their knees that he won't tell Amarantha. And SJM just does a great job of making us hate this guy. I'm going to pretend like I did not enjoy the guys being on their knees. I'm going <laughs> to like Oh, you like seeing your bae Lucian on his mm. knees? You- Listen, that's where I like him best, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, under the mountain, we get to know Reese a little bit more. When we go into the mountain, we hate Reese's guts. When we go under, we get to see a little bit more of them. I won't say that the hate goes away, but we get to know a little bit more of him. And then, of course, we encounter a whole host of terrible people like the Ator, Amarantha, who is our ultimate villain behind this whole thing. She's got the curse placed on Tamlin. And, of course, a human has to kill one of his sentries and then fall in love with him. And it's like this whole thing that Feyre could have avoided by clear communication before she went back home. And uh, thank God she didn't, or we wouldn't have this whole story. And so those are our characters. And we're not going to talk that much more about Amarantha until later because she needs that. She deserve it. Okay. So most intriguing character, Cece, give us the deets. Who and why? We're going to go right on back to my Lulu. My <laughs> boo Lulu. Lucian. He is so intriguing to me. Meeting him again, like I said, that kind of ripped through the through the veil of, of how she felt about the Fae and the stories that she was told. I feel like he really just kind of cut through that. And not just through his physical appearance, mm-hmm. but his humor. This guy is absolutely hilarious. He is the best friend with all the sass. And I just, I I love, there's a few moments that he has that I'm just absolutely obsessed with. Do you have a few of those to read to us? Oh my God. You know, I do. Absolutely. Let's hear it. Give us the goods. (laughs) So the first time that I felt like Lucian really showed his humor was when Feyre got caught in the hallway uh, with a certain Tam Tam and came to lunch the next day with a certain mark upon her neck. Mm, And mm. when asked about said mark, she told Lucian to ask Tamlin. Once Tamlin came back to Feyre and said, so if Feyre can't be bothered to listen to orders, then I can't be held accountable for the consequences. Feyre shoots back at him and says, accountable, you cornered me in the hall 
like a wolf with a rabbit. At that point, Lucian propped an arm on the table and covered his hand, excuse me, covered his mouth with his hand, his russet eye bright. To me, that just really shows the humor this man has. Lucian and Tamlin are like 500 years old. They have (laughs) had plenty of encounters. Okay, (laughs) a little necking ain't nothing to get all excited about. Okay, but here's Lucian giving Pharaoh what she wants, which is attention. She wants a reaction. And so he covers his mouth. Oh, goodness me. Could did Pharaoh did Tamlin, Tamlin and Pharaoh? What? It just I love his shocking information. Exactly. Like it is just it's so adorable. It absolutely just it tickled me pink. Also, can we say just about that bit that you read? Um, mm-hmm. Red flag alert! <laughs> Red flag alert! That Tamlin said of himself: "If Feyre can't obey orders, I can't be held accountable for the consequences." Um, excuse me, sir. I absolutely agree with. That. I mean, you'll see. Book two, you're gonna be like, "What the fuck?" But like, if that isn't Tamlin through and through, I don't um, know what is. Mm-hmm. And it's in the little words. So good job, SJM. It's the good job. You just lay in the tracks right in there. It's, it's right in there. It's just girls like girls like us who can't <laughs> catch them red flags. We'd be in the Tamlin trap too. We're going to act like we wouldn't be in the Tamlin trap. We would be right up in the Tamlin I believe, trap. Um, I believe I have a bag full of red flags in my closet somewhere. <laughs> in case anyone needs to borrow one. <laughs> if you needed another red flag. So Favor was coming in for some more attention later on wearing that oh, damn of dress. I'm like, oh, okay. She has some sexual agency now. Now she feels desired. So she's going to dress accordingly. But like, also think about the last time Feyre has even had to feel this sort of way. You know, she was surviving mm-hmm. before she came here. And she's like, fuck no, I'm not putting on a dress. I wear pants. I hunt in the woods. What do I need mm-hmm. a dress for? And then Tam Tam was like, let me, let me get a bite of that neck. I'm going to show you what you need them dresses for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't see Isaac, you know, making her wear a dress. You know what Isaac I mean? Isaac was a skinny mm-hmm. little man. Okay. He was a tiny she little She didn't thing. have to wear a dress for him. He wasn't worth no. it. So little Miss Fabra coming up in there with a dress on and Lucian sees her walk in the room and goes, well, I'm late for something incredibly important. <laughs> Exit stage left. <laughs> Thank you, Lucian. You're amazing. Like I read, I had to put the book down. I just died laughing. I was like, I absolutely love that he has this witty sense of humor and it, and it bleeds through. And everyone knows that a lot of people who have so much humor and comedy within them are covering up for something. They're covering up for some kind of pain. And when they talk about his brothers and his father and, and you know, the, the hurt and the physical altercations and what happened to him, you know, I find him so intriguing in the sense that he still finds beauty and humor and positivity in the world, even though all of this, all of these terrible things have happened to him. Uh-huh. He perseveres. And I just, I love that about yeah. him. Oh, that's so cute. I love that he has you, Captain, President, leader of the mm-hmm. fan club. Love it. And I mean, speaking of characters who use humor to cover up for all the pain and abuse and trauma they're going through, intriguing character. I have to go with Reese and I know that it's a cliche and but we can't yeah boo 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 but we can't go this whole series without talking about him just because he's a major character and so Reese I find him intriguing in the way that he's painted 
so very much the bad guy. And SJM does a phenomenal job at establishing the hatred that she gets the reader to feel for him. I mean, he's a prick. He's like standing there talking to folks, picking fictional dust that doesn't lint dust, whatever it is off of his pristine jacket. It doesn't exist. He's just so bored to be there. And she's just really good at provoking that emotion in the reader. I mean, getting Tamlin to beg on his knees was one thing, but you had to drag Lucian into that. Like for some reason for me, like you enjoyed it, you said, but for me, the double boys on their knees just made me mad. I was embarrassed for them. And there's a word for that in German. It's Fremdschämen. And SJM has me here wishing we had that equivalent in English. Like I've got some Fremdschämen for Tamlin and Lucian. (laughs) It's sad. And I can always just appreciate an author or an actor's ability to really make me hate them. It's like Umbridge and Harry Potter. Like I oh hate my god! Ooh, whoa! Every whoa, time I girl. see her, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm, I mean, I'm not comparing. I'm, I'm not. Holy obviously, crap. we all hate Umbridge. All hail the hatred for Umbridge. I'm not <gasps> saying that we hate Reese as you much as me, we hate Umbridge. You made my heart jump a little Lord, bit. Like, please, I was like, I don't but even hate Reese. That when much. I think about people I hate, she's the first one in mind because you know they put that actress in the crown mm-hmm. and that's all everybody told me was like they can't watch her as the queen because all they see is pink umbrage or i mean like think about king joffrey or like half the fucking cast of game of thrones they're just really good at getting us to hate them and so i appreciate that about sarah yeah. j moss when i read this i was like oh this reese guy is especially before we go under the mountain mm-hmm. right and she made me feel all the things and I want to be made to feel those things. And then I want to go on, on an emotional roller coaster with those feelings. Not like Game of Thrones, where they had Sansa like being tortured and then rescued by an even worse guy who then tortured her. That was like a de- that wasn't a roller coaster. It was like a downhill ride of depression. Change I want to hate someone. So. <laughs> yeah. I want to hate someone and then be challenged to continue to hate them by the human pieces of them. And so our impression of Rice recent, sorry, I know it goes back and forth rice recent but the pronunciation guide says it's recent i just like i wish that we were recording this when i haven't read everything else because yeah. i know 100 that i felt differently about him mm-hmm. than i do now mm-hmm. and so i wish i had like that so i'm trying to recapture what i felt about him then and so mm-hmm. our impression of recent before we go under the mountain is entirely different than how we leave him and that's because sjm first leads us to hate this guy and then humanizes him to us i enjoy that because she doesn't write his wrongs that he's done or justify his gross licking session or whatever. But we get to know him in a way that we don't experience our other villains, Amarantha or the Adder or even Baron, Lucian's dad. Every villain has a backstory, but we only get Reese's here. And it's an interesting one. I also find it intriguing that when Feyre's dying and she's holding on to life by a thread, it's through Reese's eyes that she experiences Amarantha's death. Like that really captured Mm. me when I first read it. Make all the symbolism and foreshadowing you want of that. I just remember leaving book one wildly curious and intrigued by Reese and utterly bored of Tampon and his lack of action under the mountain. And I know he's got all the reasons and there's a backstory and all of that, but that's just how I felt. And the book's written to do just that. So call me cliche, but I love an underdog and I love him even more as a bad boy with tats. And that's not everyone's aesthetic, but is doing it for me and so many others. So thank you, Queen SJM again. So the only thing that I would disagree on is meeting him in a villainous kind of role. He really is her savior at the beginning when she is at the big party that she Mm. most definitely is Mm. not supposed to be at. Miss Feyre. Really? Come on, girl. You're not supposed to be. You would have been sneaking out too. I mean, I would have been sneaking out. 
You know, I would have been first one. You there. know, I was. I was like, if she you does know. not go to this party, right? If I'm she watches so this thing from the window, we are done with this book. I mean, I agree. He he is her savior there, but I remember experiencing that through Favor's lens and not so objectively. So she says mm-hmm. in the book that every instinct in her was that this man is terror, this male is terrifying and telling her to run. Like her body was saying, run, you should be scared of this. And so, yeah, he's like physically saving her from these dudes. Uh, but my initial was like, oh, he's even worse. Get away from him, get away from him because that's what SJM wanted. 100%. And I took that bait and that, that was Beck's bait. 100%. I took it. <laughs> Beck's fate. <laughs> no, I, I see seed it. I see it <laughs> from the beginning. No, he really did tell her exactly who he was right in that moment, which was, I don't know you. You're probably not supposed to be here. Let me interfere. He has no lot in this. He had no business talking to her. He had nothing to gain from that situation whatsoever. It could have been mm-hmm. her. It could have been anyone. And he went and saved her. He told her exactly who he was right then. And whether she saw it or not, or I mean, obviously it was very intentional the way she brought him into the, into the story and to have that, you know, I mean, my God, she's in, you know, this is the first time she's seeing a huge group of Fae. So I understand any kind of reservations that they were had about this. Um, I, I don't have a problem with her reaction to him whatsoever. Um, but I just think it's really great that she really brought him into the picture mm. as a savior, as a hero, and immediately tore him down, immediately made him an enemy of Tamlin mm-hmm, and Lucian, mm-hmm. and thus, of course, Pharaoh. And you you come into Under the Mountain, and you're like, this guy, this guy is here. Damn it. <laughs> Now I'm screwed, you know, like he's here and, and you know, but right off the bat under the mountain, you can tell that there's this level of animosity between yeah. him and uh, Amarantha and yeah. it is, it is palpable. And so I, I love that you come in thinking that he's on the opposite side when you're under the mountain and it becomes pretty blatantly obvious that he is not playing both sides. But he's playing the long game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he said he likes to play games, right? And I, that's why I think he's so intriguing is he might not be on Amarantha's team, but he's still he's on the not team. the good guy. You know what I mean? He's on the winning team, oh, he baby. Gonna win. You won't That's what team out. he's on. I love me some, some Reese Reese. So is that why you chose Reese as your red flag character then? I, I did choose him as the red flag character for me because this is the only book in this series that I've read. I'm kind of coming into this cold. So he's kind of Mm -hmm. an obvious choice, but I don't want to go forward without saying that where I I said that Tamlin had some issues that I wasn't really like agreeable with. Reese, I also (laughs) just bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. Mm Mm-hmm. First of all, unless you had that pronunciation page, you had no idea how to even say his name. But my girlfriend okay. said that she knows that his name is Reason mm. because she had the pronunciation. But in her mind, no self-respecting <laughs> man can be Reese and be like, so she calls him Ryson anyway. And I was like, okay, do you? Boo-boo. I mean, I was calling him Raisin. So I don't know. That's what you love to make nicknames for people. That's true. I do. I, I really, really do. But he had a few parts that really kind of, bothered me. Okay, let's tear him apart. What is it that bothered you about Reese? <sighs> the first one, um, which is pretty obvious, 
is his lack of kissing expertise. This man has no idea what to do with his tongue. <laughs> you like the part where he like scraped his tongue across the roof of her mouth? <laughs> I mean, I had the same thought and I was just like, why? Why though? I mean, maybe because he doesn't want to reveal his hand of any sort. I mean, I feel like there's nothing that Reese doesn't do on purpose. Doesn't not do on purpose. He did not. No, 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 no. He did not have a reason to lick her teeth. There is no reason for that. Whatsoever. He wants to be hated. Like he's, he puts himself as a bad guy. He wants to be disliked. You know, he wants to keep her in this state of like guessing and not knowing, is he good? Is he bad? Is he my friend? Nobody, he like, he's enslaved me to him with this tattoo. And he's like, kissing me while I'm meant to be with Tamlin. Like, what's he going to do? Like, give her the best kiss of her life and then, like, lay it on her and then no, leave but, her there? but he doesn't need to check if she's flossing. <laughs> I mean, it was gross I'm to just... read, but I still oh, think... I thought it was awful. It was, it was gross to read, and I was like, that sounds terrible. But once again, I think Reese is over 500 years old, okay? Reese is... Listen, he's I'm, an I'm, old motherfucker. Then he should okay? know better. He knows exactly he know what better. he's doing. And I'm telling you, my boy had thought that out. That was a choice. We'll call mm. SJM. I got her on speed dial. I, w- <laughs> I wish she would tell you the same thing. Obviously, this woman has just really had some bad kissing experiences in her life. So that's that's what I'm I mean, relatable, though. I mean, when I was 15, I've had a terrible kiss. Listen, we do not have to talk about him right now. Okay, and that's... <laughs> let's not. Let's <laughs> move right on. What are your other... Other red flags with Reese? <laughs> um, the, the claiming, which you mentioned with the kissing, which she explicitly says in the book. And then, of course, claiming her with the tattoo. And I think, because at the end, she says, well, you could have claimed me every day. I would have given over anything. I would have done anything for Tamlin, basically. You could have had me every day for the rest of my life, which now is, you know, mm-hmm. kind of long. Yep. Um, and he was like, oh, I know. And flies off to the sunset. Or well, he's a, he's a mind reader. He literally did know. I mean, I'm very aware of that. What bothers me, <laughs> what bothers me about this is that he doesn't have to have her every day. And he knows that. He knows that. He knows he doesn't have to have her every day. That's not the point. The point is, is that she is completely entwined with him now. Seeing her death from his perspective, seeing her, her revival through his eyes, him being the final, you know, golden tic-tac drop to bring her back to life. You know, the, the tattoo reminder, she's going to see it all the time. He doesn't need her every day. He He's in her brain. He's in her, her mind. It's over. I mean, red flag. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. Let me not let my love for Reese overshadow that. Yeah. You know, I mean, dude's a red flag. It seems a bit abusive. It, it, it seems a bit well, abusive. it's manipulative is what it is. Because at the base of it all, whether he wants her or not, he's using her to piss off Tamlin. And he and Tamlin have some ancient beast, beef. And, you know, it's Tamlin who gives his tic-tac last, but Reese is the one before it. Sure. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's using her to get back at Tamlin. And even if it's, you know, like two birds, one stone type thing. Okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, yes, if I'm Mm -hmm. looking at this objectively, tattooing somebody without their permission, even to save their life, is not a dope move. It's really not. He could have absolutely helped her, no problem. Because for for some reason, and there's a reason that is beyond me right this moment, obviously, he was more concerned about everyone's freedom. He was more concerned about his own freedom. All he had to do was help her. Mm-hmm. He did not have to do the rest of this stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I'm sorry. She's just some little, you know, squatty 19 year old human. I don't know. Like <laughs> what, what is he obsessed with her from seeing her at the little party? Like, seriously, I, I just don't, I don't see the connection. I don't see why he would even want this right now. I'm obviously missing something in the future. I'm sure um, that there, there's something bigger than this. Well, but- sure. We're laying, we're laying bricks. Definitely. Correct. But let's also not forget the environment that Reese and everybody is in under the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so at the time that he tattoos her, she has defeated the worm, mm-hmm. which was a brilliant scene. Mm-hmm. Love it. Loved Love it. that chapter. It was wonderful. So she has done this epic thing for her in the name of Tamlin, but in Reese and everybody else's eyes in the name of Alfe. Like they need her to do all three of these trials and they will be free. And so, I mean, she's the center of focus, right? right? So whether he wants to... Sh- play with her to get back at Tamlin, but also her success is his success. Mm -hmm. So he's insured in her freedom. Yeah. He could have helped her out of the goodness of his heart. And well, I'd be willing to bet that Reese doesn't believe himself capable either. So, you know, like he want again, self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Reese tells himself that he's the bad guy Mm -hmm. and he will be the bad guy. That's, you know, so that's true. He's just, like you said, he's playing the long game and Mm -hmm. collecting the pieces that he needs to play the chess game. And so he tattoos her. It's hard to trust somebody. Yeah. It's really hard to trust somebody. Absolutely. It is. It's hard to trust them. You know, they're already your, you know, your team Tamlin, if you're Feyre. Mm -hmm. So this guy's tattooed you and you've got this mark on you and it's embarrassing and she feels shame about it. She doesn't want to show people that she's got the night court tattoo because they're like the black sheep of everybody else too. So it's not just that Tamlin's going to see it. Everybody knows the markings and knows that she's got a deal with the night court and everybody mm-hmm. is petrified of the night court. And so it's just got this shame element to it. So yeah, red flag all over the place. And um, he's invested in that, in her, maybe not knowing what will come afterwards. Like she could fail and they could die and he will have done it for not. But just in case he's making this little <laughs> investment over here and see whether this stock pays off or not. And mm-hmm. you know, of course it does. And see, Lucian helps her and he has really obvious reasons of helping her. And then his mother comes along and also helps Feyre out. Dirty water thing. But I believe that's the only time we ever, we really see the mother. Yeah. But the father, Bear, is it Baron? Baron. No. Baron. Baron. <laughs> <laughs> if he was French. I know you mentioned him and I feel like I, I read it and I saw him, but I didn't really... It, I, I, he didn't really speak to me on some level. I don't. I don't think I really absorbed who Baron was. Yeah, dude's a prick. I mean, I've. <laughs> I I just dislike the guy. I really hated the story about what he did to Lucian's mm-hmm. mom, and the whole like brother situation where they all hate each other. And Baron's just. Ugh, I just don't like that guy. And of course, I read the whole series. So I have a little bit more to hate him about, but I do find it interesting that. Of the people to first give their little golden tic-tacs of life to bring Feyre back, Baron is the first to step up, which is totally out of character for him. And you'll get to know that in the next few books. Um, Well, is that because he has the most to gain? I don't know. 
I literally have not. Well, I can't, I don't want to spoil it for (laughs) you. There's a bunch of theories and we'll discuss it when we get there. So he's a red flag for me. That was who I chose as my red flag. But also my other red flag character was a fucking adder. I don't <laughs> like that guy. And SJM made me hate him. But, and she didn't humanize him because, hello, he's not human. And I was totally ready for revenge on him as part of like the Amarantha slaughter. And I just recall feeling so like, ugh, when I read that he was missing. And I was like, what do you mean you didn't kill him when he fled? Like, there's only hundreds of you fame there. And he like flew away and y'all just let him go. And y'all just let him go just i was so mad i was ready fly. i was ready for that but let me ask you this before we move completely off of your boy lucian who helped pharah under the mountain out of the goodness of his heart mm-hmm. what do you think about when she traps the cereal and she screams and he hesitates and doesn't go to rescue her like he said he would i think that my first reaction was that's really shitty it was really shitty and it really didn't make any sense with what she was there for Mm. they needed her alive they needed her to fall in love with tamlin this was their last shot the only thing that i can think of and i don't know if i'm right (laughs) obviously (laughs) the cereal seemed to be in on it I think that Lucian did not want to come save her in the sense that she needed to speak to the serial. And if if they knew as much as they did and they tracked her as much as they did and they were trying to get her to fall in love with Tamlin, I cannot help but wonder if Tamlin knew that she was with the serial and that he was there to quote unquote save her and create a bigger connection with her mm. but that is a terrible theory it is uh i i don't well, the theories the theory's interesting let's not dismiss it completely okay. i don't know about the whole tamlin like being waiting and and jumping in as like a ploy necessarily but i do find it interesting that you pose that maybe lucian didn't want to approach the serial because we're we're gonna like cross over into our moments we love section mm-hmm. now and the moment i love is this serial um scene so the serial is giving me like all the oracle vibes and I think he represents like this large metaphor and you saying now that maybe Lucian just hesitated because he had like this distance from the cereal that he wanted to keep. There could be a reason for that. And so the reason I enjoy this moment of the snaring of the cereal, this scene is it sets up a much deeper metaphorical tone for what the truth can present itself as, you know, the cereal is the creature that when you ask him questions, he whatever he answers it will be the truth and whether he answers the question you ask or not is one thing but whatever answers he's done he does give they'll all be the truth and so the surreal is described as truly appalling and difficult to behold he's hunchback he's got blackened gums gross teeth these milky death eyes it's the whole nightmarish package And sometimes humans, as we do, we've romanticized some conventionally odd things like skulls or vampires, like things that are meant to terrify us. We'll romanticize them into like a symbol and we'll get them tattooed on us. But SJM leaves no room to confuse the serial for anything but horrific. Before she goes to snare him for the first time, the characters reference on several occasions the bravery and or stupidity it would take to confront the serial or the truth and consider putting yourself in 
the shoes of your 19 year old self and what Feyre's going through and the desperation she's battling that gives her the reckless courage to do something that by all accounts is just stupid. Um, So if you can imagine the cereal as a symbol of truth itself, you pick up a lot of other metaphors about why its appearance is so like hideous and why the Fae are so afraid to encounter it. And it's a dangerous creature, right? They tell you that to encounter the cereal is dangerous. To encounter the truth can also be dangerous. There's a path divergent in the woods. <laughs> and one path is a the path with truth that could absolutely destroy you. If you were to, you know, confront a truth about yourself that you just weren't ready to confront, mm-hmm. or you could go down the path of the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And for Favor's case, she's on the path of setting her free. So instead of hiding from the truth, she snares it, she confronts it, and she even bears her vulnerable self to it. When at the close of the scene, she makes the empathetic choice to free the cereal from the snare rather than leaving it to the Naga. The truth is difficult to face, and it's often ugly, like the cereal, but the truth can be a resource for self-preservation if you can manage to do so. And spoiler alert, Feyre does. I love seeing it here so early in the series. She only snares him once in this opening book. And I know, see, that you're going to love the rest of the role in the series. And he's just giving me all the Oracle, Greeky, mythological vibes. So love it. I love that. And so I hadn't really thought about Lucian's hesitation being directly tied to the surreal because I kind of made it personal to Feyre. But now that I'm kind of looking back at it, like knowing Lucian has the scar, Mm. knowing terrible things were done to him, maybe he doesn't want to see the truth. And for him, that's the surreal and... Maybe I'm making a bigger symbol of it than it is, but I think that's what it is. I like it. No such thing. No such thing in literature. (laughs) Absolutely not. Every color, every door, everything is a symbol. Everything is bigger than it is. The cereal is a huge icon. It is a huge piece of the puzzle here. Truth is a, a, a big part of this when at the beginning she believes Faye can't lie. And then here's uh, a Faye that she can trap that has to answer her questions. And then she turns around and finds out that they don't have to tell the truth. They can lie. I think that was a, a big turn for her and brought a lot of distrust into the equation, which she already distrusted them for being Faye. And then she turns around and she can't even believe the words that are coming out of their mouths anymore. Uh, And she even starts to doubt what the cereal said. So I I think that you're not putting too much stock (laughs) into this almost, uh, it's almost just a symbol, you know, and it's really funny that you brought up the looks when you fir- when we first came upon it, I, of course, pictured it as this horrible, twisted, disgusting thing. And then as she spoke to him and saved him, the image in my head almost changed of what the cereal looked like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. felt a little bit more ghost-like in my head mm-hmm. and, and it, it became a little bit more pure. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if her kind of opinion of Faye can change in in that sense, uh, like Alice. Alice started out as a beautiful, ethereal, like gorgeous, glowing Faye. And once the glamour dropped, she turned into a tree bark monster. And I wonder if that maybe changed Feyre's opinion of her at all. She seemed to be a little bit more relaxed around Alice after the glamour dropped and maybe didn't take her as seriously, mm. I, I think. Once once Alice 
saw her at the castle, at the grounds, whatever you want to call it. Um, later on, once everyone was taken out in the mountain, she kind of dismissed Alice a little bit. She didn't heed Alice's warnings. So I, I wonder if the looks maybe have changed that for her. I think she needs to listen to Alice all the time. Alice is the best supporting character. I love it when she was like, somebody, Lucian needs someone to snap back at him. I was like, go ahead, spill that tea, girl. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. My favorite part with her was when Feyre first got there to her room and she asked her, she said, Alice, what am I supposed to do with the rest of my, with the rest of my life? My, the eternity that I'm going to live here. Like, what do I do? And Alice was like, I don't know, like go take a walk or something. Like she <laughs> was walking off sport. Basically. Not here to solve your problems. Absolutely. I mean, Alice is probably thinking like this bitch, like she has no problems yet. Exactly. You know? Oh, she she was about to get some though. That is for I mean, sure. Um, a girl Alice had went through some stuff, you know. So. Oh my god, with her kids and whatever, like or her excuse well, me, her nephews. nephews. Yeah, like yeah. oh my gosh, and to keep yeah. that attitude, kind of like Lucian in the sense that she you know she keeps that whatever uh, the upbeatness, the lightheartedness, the jokes, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, like again with the cereal, when you know she comes back and Alice knows she went to go see the cereal and she was like. You know, dead chickens, dead chickens, my sagging ass. You have my <laughs> sagging heart, girl. Like, And that's what I mean about SJM and her writing is like we're in like an old school world, but the she keeps the humor going so that you don't feel like you're reading this stuffy old book that takes forever to get through. And I enjoy the humor that she wraps into everything. So we talked about my favorite moments. I know you have a favorite moment. What was yours? Um, <laughs> yours is so like nice and like truth and la 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 literacy. And I'm like, I love it when Tamlin ripped out Amarantha's throat. <laughs> it was absolutely just uh, amazing. So I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and read it because uh, how can you Ooh, not? I love it's, a table read. Read it to us. I think it's like two paragraphs, and that's all you need, girl. Let's hear it. The queen was blasted back, thrown against the far wall and Tamlin let out a roar that shook the mountain as he launched himself at her. He shifted into his beast form faster than I could see, fur and claws and pound upon pound of lethal muscle. She had no sooner hit the wall than he gripped her by the neck and the stones cracked as he shoved her against it with a clawed paw. She thrashed but could do nothing against the brutal onslaught of Tamlin's beast, Blood ran down his furred arm from where she scratched. Let's see. I'm going to move down a little bit here. That's so good. So much violence. I absolutely love it. A sword, a sword, a sword, a, a, sword. a sword hurtled through the air, a shooting star of steel. Tamlin caught it in a massive paw. Amarantha's scream was cut short as he drove the sword through her head and into the stone beneath and then closed his powerful jaws around her throat and ripped it out. Silence, bell, and girl sewed it. I up out my chair. I was like, <laughs> he ripped her throat out. I absolutely loved it. I was- She paints a picture, right? I mean, like you can imagine like her body is dangling from the wall from like being thumbtacked essentially 
through the head with a sword. And then he tears out, not her neck, doesn't separate the body from the torso. She just rips out the front of the throat. The imagery, it was absolutely beautiful. I probably read those couple of paragraphs like three or four times. It was so wonderful to, and you, you know, you didn't really see her for that long. You didn't really get to know her that well. There wasn't, I mean, there was enough to hate. Don't get me wrong. Oh, there's plenty to hate. Plenty to hate. She obviously deserved this. But just the imagery of of just the pure hate, the stuff that had built up for this poor man, this poor Faye, for so long having to sit there like a freaking lap dog, you know, watching his precious Feyre having to jump through hoops and, mm. you know, get stolen by some other dude and, you know, whatever. I don't see a better way for that bitch to die. Yeah, no, I agree. She completely deserved it. I felt avenged. You know, mm-hmm. I was satisfied when I read that. Unlike the adder getting away and I was like, oh, where is it? <laughs> I had my revenge with Amarantha. And so I loved that bit too. I mean, speaking of Tamlin sitting by, mm-hmm. that's a hot topic, you know, within this Akatar fan clubs and all the groups. Mm-hmm. They go back and forth on whether Tamlin did the right thing. And obviously, you know, characters are going to make choices. And I think this is within character for Tamlin. You know, it bothers me in a book when we we get a character built up, built up, built up, and then they do something completely out of character. That's when I get mad at the author. But when a character does something that's according to his character line and his story that he's playing out, even if I dislike it, Like, I can't be mad about it, you know, but I can disagree and be like, oh, that's not what I would do if I was trapped under the mountain. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what are are your thoughts about that? Because people will pit Reese and Tamlin in this dynamic of like, who did more to help Feyre and who protected her correctly. And by all accounts, in Tamlin's mind, he's protecting Feyre by not giving away how much he should be reacting to everything. Absolutely. I mean, you have to think that he is being watched like a hawk. The Even, even the moment he stole away with Feyre was quickly addressed. Amarantha came almost immediately to where they were and thank God, you know, Raisin was there and, you know, saved the day with his weird teeth flashing. But he did. He, he saved the situation. That, I think, was the worst thing Tamlin did, was give in to Mm. what he wanted and what he needed. And obviously, he loves Feyre. Obviously, he feels like this is the end of the world. He took his last shot. And and I get that. But I think he showed great courage by inaction. Sometimes doing nothing is the hardest thing to do. And Mm. I feel that not every hero has a sword and shield. Not every good person is acting. You know, sometimes sitting by and watching things unfold or having faith that someone is going to do what they're supposed to do, i.e., you know, Raisin or or Lucian or Lucian's mother, you know, what have you. If it came to the point where something else had to be done when it was more immediate, maybe Tamlin would have acted. That did come and that happened, right? So we saw Reeson attack Amarantha and Tamlin's response was to beg Amarantha. And so again, you have two different actions. And I mean, yeah, sure. It's 
let's not forget what he's sitting through every day. So he saw Claire better tortured, among other things. He's seen horrific things go down under the mountains for, you know, 50 years now. And now he's there every day watching every little bit she does. And we only get a glimpse of the guy she has, Reese kill, shatter his mind, and Claire's hanging on the wall. So we miss that scene. And you can just, if you can empathize with what he would have been going through watching Claire get stripped naked and then, you know, debased and ripped apart and tormented in the way that she was and thinking about how that could get done to Feyre. And he just kept his mouth like that was the the action he could choose and the thing he could control. You know, I think it would have been like the coward's way out to maybe like kill himself and just not witness it. Like he stayed, he witnessed it. He kind of had no choice but to witness it. But it is interesting to me that still, you know, Ryson's, Ryson's playing his game in the background, doing the different things. So they've got different mo- ways of going about, you know, Reeson will, he's on the inside, he's Amaranthus whore, he's working from the inside and doing her bidding all while fighting against her enemies close and all of that. But at the very end, right before Amarantha is going to die, Reeson tries to attack her and Tamlin begs her. Mm. And I just think it's it's an interesting juxtaposition, once again, before we see these two characters split apart of what they chose to do against Amarantha. Well, I think it's a, a little bit of a switch, actually, because Tamlin, throughout, you know, the the blight, so to speak, is fighting every inch. He is trying to protect his people. He is trying to find a solution to this whole thing. He is sacrificing friends. He, he is doing everything he possibly can to stop this. And he did take a break. And then you've got Ryzen not doing that and being, you know, Amarantha's horde. Like mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. he is playing the long game, so to speak. But it's almost like a, a, a like a switch of characterization is that you have Tamlin sitting by and kind of being the whore in a sense, being, mm. you know, Amarantha's pet. And Ryzen is actually mm-hmm. out and about and getting shit done. So I, I think it's not necessarily who did more in that moment. It's really about who did what they were supposed to do in that moment. And I think you're right. Tamlin sitting there was, it was the best thing he could do. Begging was probably the best thing he could do right then. He was completely caught. Yeah. I mean, he just saw Rayson fail Mm -hmm. to attack her, you know? So like, I mean, yeah. What kind of sense would it make to not try something a little bit different? This is a segment we'll do every episode that we lovingly call our commercials. Inspired by the books and turned into joke advertisements, we have fictional products and services based on the Akatar series. And we totally made all of these up. We can't stress enough, they're not real. But enjoy, enjoy all, all the same. same. Here's this episode's our commercial, written and directed by none other than the best. Introducing Prithian's premier feminine product, The Court Tampon, Jasmine, Citrus, Sea Salt, Lemon Verbana. Choose your favorite solar or seasonal court scent to be with you in your most intimate moments. And for indulgent overprotection, we recommend the Tamlin. The Tamlin will lock up your feminine power and entrap your being even when you don't need it. Now available in an apothecary near you.
So let's do something fun. We've talked about some very serious bits and gotten all moody. And yes, we say ricin and ricin and yeah, because this is meant to be fun and we love to get nerdy on the stuff. So we have our own version of kill, fuck, marry. And because this is Akotar, we're going to call it, are you ready? Missed right mate. So who would you missed like recent can who would you write with like it's Cal and May and who would you mate with for the rest of your life like you was getting married so kill fuck Mary missed right mate CC you give it to us go first I'll give it to you baby who would you miss <laughs> let's go missed first who Listen, would you miss I would well I mean there's so many people to miss <laughs> um there really are there's so many um I'm I'm missing Nesta she is missing <gasps> no, me she was with mine. that I no. want to miss Nesta that's fine you can miss Nesta I can miss somebody else like I said I have a list honey I have a list oh no okay but let's talk why we want to miss Nesta listen she is the absolute worst she and I know <laughs> they had their little you know coming to Jesus moment there you know when she came home and whatever I'm like I, I don't care don't care she a bitch she a bitch that's She's, it yeah no there's I nothing know. else and to I, say I've read the rest of the series so I know her character development and even halfway through her character development you're just like oh my god this bitch like get it together you know and what? so Some people just don't make it there they don't make it to the top of the hill you know yeah, and, and this okay. this miss right mate is based just on book one so let's Correct. lay that out there this is just book one so if book one was a standalone thing i agree the mist i would miss nesta 100 tell the people what you call her nestor and i'm not really <laughs> sure why <laughs> it's kind of like nestor. castor like the the greek castor yeah you know? No, mm-hmm. okay. no, I know who you're talking about. Cast you know, well. yeah, I know I who know. you're going to say is your right. I think who, who would you write? Um, well, I mean, I would obviously write Lucian. He could <laughs> all day, every day, swollen. He could, <laughs> he could find spots. I didn't even know were there. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> look with this little line. <laughs> okay. This is really funny because I wrote Lucian as my right. So that's hilarious. And I feel like, you know, there's not a ton of really big main characters here. We're going to get like a whole slew in the next few books. So there's not a ton to choose from, but I did choose Lucian. That's funny that you say that. And it made me think of, you remember when Feyre's going through and she like is going towards his bedroom and she wonders if his eye can see through the wall. I'm like, what else can that eye do though? I don't know. He probably just takes it out, honestly. No, he doesn't take it out. It's mechanically in there. Okay, but what if it like pops out? Like when he doing? No, you know he doesn't want that. We need to avoid that at all. I can't help. I can't help but think when somebody pops an eye out, it makes me think of that scene in the Disney movie Hercules where Hades is with the fates and they pop that eyeball out and it like gets on the ground and has a hair on it. Oh my god, it's so gross. So like maybe maybe I don't want to write Lucian. I don't know. Don't don't write Lucian. Okay, well I put that actually like pissing me off. Oh shut up. You can have him. It's fine. I mean, I had to pick somebody. I mean, I'm just not digging Tamlin. And that is the reason that I also chose to mate recent big shock. But I just like basically the other two men that are left that are not villains are Tamlin and recent. And I choose recent because a he's recent, but also Tamlin, even 
even if I hadn't read the rest of the series, mm-hmm. I just think life, the rest of my life would be so fucking boring with Tamlin. Oh my God. And like recent, I don't know, maybe he's a bad guy, but he's got some wings. We'd go for a flight. It'd be chill. I mean, we saw some like really intimate moments with him where like you clearly yeah. can see like he's a damaged being. And, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be fixing people. So listen, though, another red flag. He's a bird. I don't like birds. <laughs> I don't trust that. Are you going to hold that uh-uh. against him? Uh-uh. That wasn't his choice. No. So you'll get uh-uh. down with like. Much... He don't... I don't need him calling at me fucking six o'clock <laughs> in the morning. You'd rather be purring. not on a farm. <laughs> you you want to brush Tamlin instead and hear his purring? Actually, I mean, okay. But that's the thing is that Tamlin like goes full beast. Okay. Reese is like, oh, um, uh, I don't want like the beak and stuff. I just do the wings because that's how like cool I am. He's like, got a boom. beast. He's got a beast. You just don't see it in book one, but it's not like a furry, purry beast. Okay. So did you choose to mate Tamlin? I did not choose to mate <gasps> Tamlin. I'm progressive and I mated Alice. Yes, that's what I thought what? you were going to say. <laughs> I was like, you deserve that tree bark happiness. Listen, she is, she's reliable. She's smart. She is the only one who didn't get caught and went under the mountain. Mm, mm, that's true. So though. when shit hits the fan, who you want to be with? I want to be with Alice because that bitch, she, she getting out of there. <laughs> she getting out of there. She's like, pack it up. We're out of here. Let's go. Like That's true. That's true. She had it. the forethought to move her nephews out of summer court. Yeah. She's reliable. She's oh. a reliable lady. She's very smart. So that's, that's who I'm marrying. Uh, or, or excuse me. That is, that's my mate. That's who you're mating. Yes. Miss right mate, Mary. Though. I love it. Where's Miss right mate. Okay. Let's do what we decided to call facts and figures. And I think one of the things I love about SJM and her writing is she likes to throw in a lot of nuances and references and hidden metaphors and symbols for a lot of things. And obviously the, one of the big ones that stood out to me was the eye tattoo that Reese gives Feyre on the palm of her hand. As if everyone reading this has not seen the Hamsa, which is, you know, the mythological religious symbol that we get from Jewish and Islamic communities um, that has the eye in the center of the palm. And so it's interesting that this tattoo comes from Reeson, who, when he gives it to her, he gives it to her, A, without her knowledge, and B, while he's being portrayed as this bad guy, right? But the Hamsa actually stands as a symbol of protection against evil and represents goodness and health and fertility among a ton of other things. And so if you are witty enough to catch that up or to Google it, I mean, I Googled Baldrick, like when she said it for the fifth time, I was like, the hell is a Baldrick? I had to Google it. Uh, yeah. But did you meander around the dictionary. So no judgment at all. If you Google the eye on the palm symbolism, because good for you adding to your own edification. But I just like the symbolism that it comes from our buddy Reeson, this symbol that some might think is evil at first, but actually it's to protect against evil. And she was, um, Sarah was actually raised Jewish. So that makes a lot of oh, sense. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, no, she was she was raised Jewish. Awesome. And she actually had, uh, her major was writing, but her one, she had a minor in religious studies, I believe. Of course so, she did. What a goddess. Of course She's she did. She's a goddess. <laughs> Love her. So as subversive and subtle as Sarah is with a lot of her iconography and a lot of 
her symbolry in her books, sometimes she's a little blink. Sometimes it's a little on the face. Uh, if you read just the first few chapters of this book, you can see that there is a big parallel between Court of Thorns and Roses and Beauty and the Beast. Of course, you have Roses, big old red flag right there that it may have something to do with Beauty and the Beast. In the original Beauty and the Beast story, her father is a merchant who loses his wealth when his ships either catch on fire or they sink or, you know, there's a million different stories that kind of go along with Beauty and the Beast and it all kind of deviates right there. So when he loses his wealth, the merchant has any number of children. There's 10, 6, 3, 1. Um, there's a, a bunch of different stories that have a bunch of different number of children and he regains his wealth somehow and asks the children what they would like him to bring back for them. Most of the children ask for gold or clothes or jewels or something like that. And Belle or the youngest child, Beauty, whatever her name is in this particular story, asks for Rose. Hmm. So he runs into Beast Castle. Uh, Beast is actually cool with him being in the castle that night and he feeds him and hosts him and all that kind of stuff. The merchant, the father goes to leave and cuts off a rose from the beast's rose bush. The beast, of course, gets all upset and tells the merchant that he must bring back one of his daughters to replace him as a prisoner mm. in the castle. The thing is, is that the daughter has to come willingly. Oh, interesting. A pure of heart kind of thing. So you see a lot of parallels here. You see, you know, a merchant who's lost all his wealth, greedy children, and then one who's really more sacrificial, one who's, you know, good and mm -hmm. pure of heart, so to speak, um, who obviously switches sides with her father or goes with the beast, who in this sense would be Tamlin, which there's some arguments there, uh, obviously. So another thing that I know a lot of people picked up on was the big gallery reveal. It felt a lot like the library reveal in the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. So of course, our poor little Feyre is illiterate. Uh, so a library probably did not have that big of an impact on her. So he opens the doors, turns on the candles, and she sees the big gallery and she's just completely awestruck. And it's a lot like when Belle enters the library and sees all the book and books and she's just completely taken aback. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of similarities there with the story and this book. Of course, this one deviates <laughs> just a little bit oh, from, from the Beauty and the Beast. But another story that is quite similar and rings into this book is uh, Phantom of the Opera, which is a little bit more of a Beauty and the Beast story. And you have the mask that is shielding a rather handsome man. Um, yeah. Nice comparison. Thank you. Uh, so there's a, a lot of different versions of Beauty and the Beast. There's some facets that I feel like she takes from the you know very original story, especially with the merchant and the greedy children and Feyre being a little bit more pure of heart. But I think the deviations that she's taking really bring up the question of who really is 
the beast? Who's the bad guy? Who's the monster? Yeah, SJM is really good at picking up on these symbols and other stories. And I love it when she drops these hints. So we've got the Hamsa, we've got the Beauty and the Beast reference. Another funny tidbit that I picked up in some of these online groups is I'm not the only one whose phone has auto-corrected Tamlin to tampon. And I learned from- Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Did you just say tampon? Oh no, I did. I was texting a girlfriend of mine one day and I typed Tamlin and it auto-corrected the tampon and I just never looked back. I was like, yeah, seems about right. <laughs> and um, so I, I scrolled upon it in a group where people were debating, is it disrespectful to call Tamlin tampon? Did she do this on purpose? Knowing that people were going to nickname him tampon. And actually Tamlin is an old fairy ballad from Scotland. And so we have another one of these Celtic pieces that SJM has just so delightfully dropped in here. So I'm going to read you this little three-sentence excerpt about what Tamlin the fairy ballad is. So here we go. Tamlin is an old fairy ballad from the borderlands of Scotland concerning a mortal woman who encounters a mysterious man in a forbidden forest. When she finds herself pregnant with his child, she seeks him out again and learns that he's a mortal man captive to the fairies and at risk for sacrifice as their tribute to hell to rescue him she must find the fairies at midnight on halloween and pull him from the horse as the fairy troop passes by she must hold on to him and as he transformed into a variety of beasts or other dangers she does so and at the end of the tale the fairy queen speaks her wrath at the departed man wishing she'd taken out his eyes or his heart to prevent his rescue and i i read this and i was like oh sarah j moss i see what you did there that was lovely right so it's got a fairy queen a girl rescues him he turns into a beast she gives this dramatic statement about how she wished she had taken his heart, which we know Amarantha did. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, SJM, I see you. I see you. Cause every once in a while, I fancy myself a little bit of a writer. I go to write books and it ain't nothing like this girl. So you just, you know, you just keep doing you. Okay. Well, this isn't a commercial for Beck's books. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) believe me, you don't want to read them. Beck's books corner. (laughs) Beck's book corner. Speaking of books, I got to tell you one of the funniest things I have come across are these bad reviews. Um, And this is from somebody who posted a review of A Court of Thorn and Roses. And I want to say it looks like it's on the Goodreads app. And it's from at Allie Learns to Read. And Allie, I know that you have done like these for every single book and they're hilarious. So I'm going to end this show today with your bad review. Because if you can't joke with yourself, what are you doing? Right? Okay, here we go. An illiterate 19-year-old straight up kills a guy and is outraged when there are consequences. Her punishment is living in a mansion with a hot mare and hanging out with his friend, the nicest guy in the world, and the only character I care about in this series. Do you feel vindicated? So so much vindication. I was so right the whole time. Thank you so much. This is a tragic turn of events for Feyre as it separates her from her life as an indentured servant to her shitty family. Who's going to take care of her deadbeat dad, her personality-proof younger sister, and Nesta, Satan's apprentice? Listen, whatever (laughs) this man is taking you to is better than where you are. Follow, Girl. follow the furry. Girl. Follow let, the furry. Let go with the vow. Your mom's 
cool, wherever she is, she don't care. One day, a generically handsome man appears and all of book talk developed a bat fetish overnight. <laughs> she, some stuff happens as Feyre ends up in the Triwizard Tournament from hell where she has to outsmart a worm. Oh. Feyre struggles but eventually triumphs due to severe interference from outside sources. This goes on for five books. The fan base for this series is the size of a largest army and if you say something negative about Cassian, they will hunt you down and ruin your life and honestly good for them I, you haven't met cassian yet cc but when you do you're gonna find this very funny this was hilarious thank you ally learns to read for your terrible review of a court of throne and rising uh, i i don't know how terrible it was that was some damn good writing was that was amazing on. hilarious it was so hilarious. good like try even... tournament like i'm sorry <laughs> harry potter did nothing he did nothing, okay? He got in the bath. That's it. That's all look, he did. Look, let's not make the Harry Potter verse come for us, we're okay? Not, we're let's not going to do this. we're ahead. The SJM is already coming for us. <laughs> I'm here, baby. It's all right. Yeah, we're over here. You can find us gonna be okay. on all the all the things, all the things. Okay, so I have, I've read the full series, and as we end this episode, you haven't. So let me ask you, what do you hope happens in book two? I hope the King of Highburn gets his army and marches right into the human world and kills Nesta. That is, <laughs> that is my hope. That is my dream is that I see her dead. Just that's, that's all I want. What a hater. What a hater. I feel it. I feel it. We'll have to see if your wish comes true. So if you haven't read book two, like CC, go read A Court of Mist and Fury right now and then rush back here and join us in the discussion. And don't forget to read Between the Lines with Bex and CeCe. <laughs>